Throughout my first, second and third range retreat, the level of calm in the mind progressed steadily. As each year ended, I was able to look back on it and notice the level of calm had increased. My mind was at ease, totally cool, like being in air conditioning. So cool and so wonderful. This gradually progressed year by year, and by my fourth range retreat, the practice really came together. The mind and body felt so cool that I would shiver. If I met with cold weather, I would feel even colder. My body elements couldn't adjust to this change. There would just be this continuous feeling of coolness. Some people instead experience heat that pervades the body, but the calm is there. It depends on our own bodily elements. The experience of calm and peace in the heart will manifest accordingly with whatever element is predominant. But this peace can still deteriorate and disappear because it is subject to anicca, dukkha, anatta. When this happens, we have to keep investigating and meditating anew until the heart becomes calm again. After we reattain calm within the heart, the practice starts to get even better. It's like the mind has more strength and meditation starts to get more fun. However, when there are sensory impingements coming in, if we can't contemplate them clearly, then it becomes too much suffering to bear. Severe suffering within the heart. Although we want to overcome these moods, we just can't. Doubts and uncertainty spin back and forth. We want to be back on the right path, regaining clarity. Lumpu Cha would stress not to worry about it. Leave the doubts alone, they're just a hindrance. When there is no calm, everything seems a mess. The doubts spin around and around and we feel way off the path and can't seem to get back on. We wonder where to go, but every direction seems to only lead to dead ends. Everything seems dark and hopeless and we can't get around it. We just paralyze ourselves and the mind spins round and around, in and out and doubts drag us down and and then come again all anew, again liking, again disliking. But if we keep at the practice without stopping, it must progress. The practice will move us forward. Later, when we have come to the point where the power of the mind, the power of samadhi, and the power of investigation are strong and effective, this is where the practice becomes smooth. Whenever we investigate, there is calm. We don't have to tell the mind what to do. At this stage, it knows the path to proceed. At this point, investigation will pr proceed smoothly by itself and proceed in the correct way as well. The practice has momentum and there is no doubting, so we start to understand the Dharma clearly. So to get to this, how do we practice? What do we do? In the start, we have to watch the fundamental things. If we're eating too much, know that this is a kilesa, a basic one. Then watch the mind. This thinking, proliferation and restlessness we can't make it stop instantly. So we need to keep trying and keeping at it, performing whatever duties we need to perform while keeping up our investigation. As monks, investigation of Dharma is our primary duty. Kesa, hair of the head. Loma, hair of the body. Naka, nails. Danta, teeth. And Tacho, skin. These are the five kamatana we need to develop investigating and contemplating them backwards and forwards. Lumpur Cha would usually teach the way to abandon attachment to the body during the ordination ceremony for new monks. He wouldn't talk about body contemplation so much in his general teachings, but when talking about his personal practice, 
he recounted how he would visualise other monks and novices as corpses and ghosts as they walked ahead of him on arms round, or else he would visualise himself as a decomposed corpse. His own strength of mind had already developed to the point where he could contemplate the body fluently in this way. The work of investigation is just like this. If the mind is calm and still, we can understand many things with greater clarity and understanding. But if this calm isn't there, it will just be flooded with doubts and uncertainty. In the beginning, we must investigate anew, bit by bit, developing this strength within the mind. When I was staying and learning from Lumpur Char, all of his ways of instructing and training were aimed at grinding down our defilements, going against all our wants. This is a really important aspect of the practice, not just always following our desires. In the past, at Wat Nong Bapong, when it was time for the range retreat, sometimes monks and novices would volunteer to go off to a branch monastery, but sometimes no one would volunteer to go, so Lumpur Char would just send people away. <coughs> Sometimes it suited them, other times not. Some monks, after they had been sent off, would come back later saying, oh, Why did he send us to this place? It was terrible. Why has he put me through this? We have to rely on using Ganti, patient endurance, as a foundation of the practice. With patient endurance, we can consider and investigate until we can resolve the negative feelings that arise. This is an important quality in the training and practice together with having respect and reverence for each other. This is where the practice starts to grow from. In Lumpur Chao's way of teaching and instructions, he would also emphasize Indriya Samvarasila, restraint of the senses, Jagraniya Yoga, devotion to wakefulness, Bojani Matanyuta, moderation in eating, and contentment with the four requisites. This is the foundation of the practice. Keep right with these. Whether our progress is fast or slow, it's up to our spiritual maturity and accumulated merit. It isn't certain. Some meditators come along later, but progress quicker. How does this work? It's because of the cycle of samsara. Some are around for a long time, but still haven't achieved many results. Whether someone succeeds sooner or later is dependent on their accumulated level of barami. The ones who find success quickly put forth effort and accumulated a lot of barami in a previous life. Maybe someone had enough barami to be ordained in the time of the Buddha, but only enough to ordain it at an old age which was too late to allow them to see the Dhamma. It really depends on the merit we have accumulated. Some monks have been practicing ever since they were a novice and still haven't got any results. They may even reach old age and still not see any results. This doesn't just apply to one individual monk. It affects everyone. Though we might have ordained in previous lives, maybe we still haven't seen any results. This will depend on our accumulated merit, our barami. It follows us, but whatever our situation is, we have the opportunity now to practice the Dhamma in the way of our teachers, the Kuba Ajans. We have to stick to these principles. Don't deviate from them or let them go. If we have let these principles go, we are off the path. If we have let them go, we have let go of the very thing that will help us progress. Many different monasteries teach this correct path, the way of contemplation. Certain Meiji's meditation center also teach the same path, keeping sati watching over the body, watching over feelings, the mind and mind objects, right within the satipatthana. 
If we watch right here, probe at this, we can understand and see the Dhamma. Keep practicing along the principles of the Vinaya, the, monast- the monastic disciplinary code. These principles give us a means for correctness, uprightness and grandeur. It is a way to make our conduct beautiful. This is the way that will lead us to further progress. In a certain lineage, the teacher will teach the way to develop things like Manomaya Iti, creating mind-made bodies with the power of mind and other psychic powers. They are real, but exist within the field of the Abhinyas. Practicing for psychic powers requires the development of Abhinya, for which we need a high level of Varami. But these terrors only use their psychic powers to attract people to the to the Buddhist teachings, to pull them in by getting them interested, because we all like psychic powers, special kinds of mental tricks, they really pull us in and attract us. First they get people's attentions with their psychic powers, then they explain that if we practice the way they teach, then we can develop these powers too. That's it, hooked, I want to practice in this way. They explain that if we want these powers, first we have to develop sila. Then we will see them. But when we try it, they still don't come. These powers still haven't come about. So the teacher says it's because we don't have vipassana. We need to develop vipassana. Then we quickly notice, hey, I still haven't developed these psychic powers. So the teacher tells us we have no samadhi. If we still haven't developed them, they tell us because our sealer isn't pure enough. So it's back to the start. It all comes back to the basic principles of sila, samadhi and panya. Just like that. The way of attracting people through psychic powers is just a different way to teach the same principles by using a means of getting people interested first and developing faith. Some monks, though they may have abhinyas and souls, don't speak of it because they incline to teach by way of reason and investigating, investigation using panya. Lumpur Cha exemplified this style teaching and advising with his own knowledge and experience of the practice, knowing the ways of progress and the ways of decline. There was once a monk who stared at the sun as his casino meditation object until he gained supernormal psychic powers, like being able to read others' minds. But later he fell into delusion. He just lost the way. He could sit all night without nodding off, but he still fell into delusion. He later disrobed and went crazy. Lumpur Cha wouldn't allow his monks to get into this sort of playing with casinos. Though there were a few monks who still did use the sun as a casino meditation object, despite Lumpur Cha's objection, in general he wouldn't have any of this, because he knew the correct and important aspects of the practice. Lumpur Cha would try to pull them back onto the right path. He knew that most of the monks that get into casinos fall into the same trap. They stray from the path. With the training of the mind, sometimes we find it really difficult. We find that it's too hard and burdensome. If we haven't got enough barami, yes, it is difficult and burdensome. If we have enough barami, though, it isn't hard at all. Whichever way it is, we need to patiently keep at, keep at it following the principles of practice laid out by our elders, such as Lumpur Man and Lumpur Cha. These great monks and many others travel in the path that leads all the way to Arahatship. This path is based on making the mind peaceful, then moving into investigation within the framework of the body, or else using the investigation of the body to make the mind peaceful. Some monks go straight to looking at the mind, 
They skip over and don't investigate the body at all. They just watch mental feelings and thoughts. If we really watch over the mind with sati, it has to stop thinking. We need to be able to stop it. If we really focus and watch right at the mind, then the thinking has to stop. Watching with unwavering attention, focused on the mind. We see the thoughts arise and pass, arise and pass. Eventually they will stop. This is the sati that watches over the mind. We see that this mind is only the mind. The thinking ceases. We have to follow it. Follow it with knowing. If we try this and the thinking doesn't stop, this means that our sati is weak. If we try to keep using this weak sati to investigate in this way, sooner or later we're going to run out of energy. All of our strength will be depleted and we may become lost in our thinking. There are so many monks who have encountered and experienced this, that haven't entered upon a path which lays out the principles of practice in their essence. The correct way to develop the mind in meditation is to, is to not let it get attached to liking or disliking. To do this, Lumpur Cha had us contemplate the body. This is important because it is the way to bring the mind to peace. When we talk about fixing attention on the breath, this means being mindful of the body in the body. Once the mind finds peace, it becomes radiant and luminous and our contemplation will be able to separate the mind and the body. The knowing or the knower will become prominent in our awareness at that point. The knower will see any hindrances that are, that are arising in the mind and will know where they, where they are and on what level they are arising. It will also know the level of radiance in the mind. This is something we can observe. Once this state of radiant awareness has manifested clearly in the, one, in the mind that knows, then we will know that we are following the correct path of practice and the right way to proceed. Our own experience will match that of the teachers as we, as we have heard and studied. We will know at what level the mind is and at what stage our practice has reached, because the teachers have pointed out each stage as, as we are experiencing it. If we are going to gain expertise in investigation, we have to do it often. Really develop it a lot. Do it a lot. At the start we will probably experience fatigue, exhaustion and difficulties because we have to poke at and look right into all of our moods, into all the feelings and thoughts that come up, the manifestations of liking and disliking. But we have to keep investigating continuously and consistently so the mind doesn't go chasing after all these moods. When we start to be able to follow and guard the mind, we are in the present and our samadhi begins to progress a lot more smoothly. The mind will be able to move into the level of Ganika Samadhi. But whenever we walk Kankama or sit meditation, this Samadhi will go deeper. Fixing attention on the Kamatana we are using and we are skilled in, the mind can move into Upachara Samadhi. Whether we are walking or sitting, whichever we find the most effective, by taking up the method we have gained proficiency in, entering Upachara Samadhi will be quick and easy because we are already skilled. But when we come out of Upachara Samadhi and encounter the various emotions and moods, the mind will still get involved in them. So we have to keep our sati up with them. If we continually investigate the body, feelings, mind and mind objects, our sati will become firmer and our samadhi will become stronger. Being able to develop the mind to enter Apana Samadhi depends on our accumulated merit. Some monks don't experience it until after many years. Some experience it after five or six years. 
and summon only one near, Apana Samadhi. This is where Samadhi is at its most calm and cool. Vitaka, Vichara, Piti, Sukha and Ekagata all converge into one. It's like the pendulum of a grandfather clock that usually swings from right to left, but has stopped still in the middle. At this point, even if we want to think, we can't. The mind is so still that there, there is no movement of thought whatsoever, no proliferation. There is only the knowing. After the mind has been calm and still for a duration depending on its own strength, it will withdraw from that state. When we have, we then have to move into investigation. We take up this body, our physical form, and investigate it to see with see it with total clarity in the light of anicca, dukkha, anatta. From here, our investigation will move along by itself, as if on auto- automatic. It has a momentum of its own. We can investigate to see ourselves as merely elements. We can investigate our own hair. Suppose a hair falls out. We will realize that it isn't ours or a self. This will give rise to the understanding that there isn't a permanent entity or self. Wisdom will arise. The mind and body will separate and be seen clearly as as different from each other. The mind and feelings will also separate. We will see clearly true understanding. But if we don't yet have the ability to enter Apanasamari and our investigation isn't at the point where we can do where we can see this separation clearly, we must rely on continually developing whatever level of samadhi we have. This whole process will lead to the maturing of the practice and the understanding of Dhamma. We maintain Kanika Samadhi when in a normal state going about our daily activity, and then when we sit, the mind will go straight into Upachara Samadhi. In time, we will be able to remain in Upachara Samadhi in all postures. When the mind proceeds deeper into into its investigation of the body, feelings, mind and mind objects, it will incline towards Apana Samadhi. The mind's strength progresses around itself like this. Now the mind will be able to see sharply and clearly. Before we are fully skilled in entering Apana Samadhi, it's possible to have some periods of the mind staying in Upachara Samadhi for a whole month. The body and mind are light and at ease. There are still external sense impressions, but they don't affect the heart because Samadhi has separated them out due to its power. Effort and diligence in the practice now has a momentum of its own. The heart will always be wakeful and alert, equipped with the four jungas. There is piti, sati and samadhi. If we make effort to maintain sati continuously, mindfully keeping up with all the moods and emotions we experience and seeing the body as it truly is, our samadhi will gain stability and be kept smooth and even. Without having to do or control anything, our meditation moves along smoothly by itself. The mind remains in the state of Upajara Samadhi. This is the result of, a con- of the continuous development of our practice, investigating until we understand and see clearly into the Dhamma, until there are no more doubts. This Samadhi is firm within us. We don't need to try and control it or be overly cautious. It's at a good level, but not quite to the full extent. We have to keep proceeding down the Noble Eightfold Path. We have to keep investigating, investigating just like we have been, practicing like we have been. Step by step, it will take the strength of the mind to a new level. 
Some monks are skilled at making their minds peaceful by using the parikamas, putto, tammo, or sankho, or watching the breath until their mind reaches stillness. We have to keep up with our kamatana that we are experienced with in order to pass beyond our moods and emotions, overcoming all the hindrances. When we have various mental states of desire, aversion, drowsiness, restlessness, irritation and doubt, we have to train and adapt our samadhi to cross over and beyond these mental states. This is called focusing the mind. This is pawana. This is samadhi. This is what will give us the foundation that supports the, pra- supports the practice, the practice of panya. When we are proficient in all these levels of samadhi, Kanika, Upachara and Apana, our investigation comes about quite easily. Whether we direct our contemplation to the body, to feelings, mind or mind objects, within no long time, maybe even three or seven days, we will be able to see the Dharma in all its clarity. However, if we follow the path of Panya developing Samadhi, we must keep investigating and letting go of the Kilesas one by one, bit by bit, little by little. Because our samadhi is infirm and stable, we have to rely on using panya to develop these states of samadhi. This samadhi might not be as deep as the way of samadhi developing panya, but we still need it to support the contemplation. Whoever follows the path of wisdom and contemplation will need to keep investigating with panya until the strength of samadhi is gradually developed up through the levels of Kanika, Upachara and Apana. The understanding of Dharma will then arrive at full clarity. <coughs> Ultimately, whoever develops Samadhi needs to get to the level of Apana. If Samadhi hasn't yet reached maturity, it will be impossible to see the Dharma clearly. Here, Panya and Samadhi should be operating in balance and harmony with one another. We can use either of the two ways of practice. Panya developing Samadhi or Samadhi developing Panya. Whichever way works, this is the way to progress along. The Marga of Sila, Samadhi and Panya. If we have a lot of work and duties, practicing Samadhi by making them and making the heart of one by using a meditation word or with the breath may be difficult. Knowing that it's hard, we need to firmly set Saki to the task of guarding over the heart and bringing it to calm. If we are going to practice Samadhi in this way, we need to keep Buddha constantly within us. Whether we are standing, sitting, walking, lying down, or whatever else we may be doing, we have to keep the meditation word Buddha always in the heart. If we are eating, we have to be thinking Buddha so that the heart is at one with it. If the heart is always at Buddha until it is the only object within, we can then prevent all the impressions from outside from entering and disturbing it. But if we are keeping an eye on the mind, that is to say, recognizing our thinking, proliferation and restlessness, though there is some level of knowing, the sati is still too weak to be able to keep the mind in check. So we must bring a putto. Every time there are thoughts arising, we mentally repeat putto until all our thinking is reduced and putto is there in its place. For those who have taken up the monastic life, the Kuba Ajans in the tradition of Lumpur Man have always, re- have always stressed developing Samadhi. When we have no involvement in work projects, 
then there, are, then there is the opportunity in the forests and mountains to develop the heart to deeper levels. But if we, but if we do have a lot of responsibilities and duties, then we really have to watch over the heart with wisdom. Sometimes we have to rely on contemplation first to bring the heart to calm. But sometimes, just by focusing on our body karma or on the breath, it becomes calm and quiet. Whatever the case is, these two methods can be used accordingly, accordingly or alternated at different times. When the heart has experienced calm and withdrawn from it, we need to get in and investigate this mass of physical form that is the body. We keep, we keep at this until there is clarity in our understanding. This is called vipassana. We use the calm to focus our attention firmly within the body for the arising of panya. One kind of panya comes from listening and hearing, another from reflecting and pondering. But the panya that, ar- that arises from calm is the panya of pavana. This is vipassana that will give rise to clarity in our heart. We may sometimes experience enormous amounts of piti for a month, maybe even many months. If we think that this is vipassana, we lose ourselves to vipassana upakilesa. We aren't interested in taking up the investigation into the body and our own moods and emotions. We may think we don't need to investigate the elements of earth, air, water and fire anymore. We feel there is no need that just watching the mind is sufficient. Because when we start to investigate the body, it just switches and wants to drop into calm. This makes us think that we only need to investigate the mind and that it's not necessary at all to investigate the body. Yet Lumpo Cha would always teach to get in and investigate the body. But to just keep investigating the mind won't last very long and our energy will be depleted. All the calm and peace we experienced will disappear. The same as someone who has never done any meditation at all. All the proliferation takes over again in a flooding wave. Liking and disliking take over again. This is common. We might think that our meditation has fallen apart, but if we rise up with resolution and put forth effort in every posture, standing, walking, sitting and lying down, to focus our sati continuously and firmly as we had done before, putting down our various burdens and duties, this should make the calm of our mind come again anew. And this calm will be deeper than before, and our panya will go deeper than before. This is the natural way of progress. This is the natural progress of developing samadhi. Initially it isn't that firm, it's not so full, so we must go back and reapply ourselves to the practice until the mind is totally solid, without room to fall back and without flaw. Our formal practice will evolve to a new stage of maturity. Therefore let us all have patience, endurance and persistence in our practice. Let us always work towards developing the five spiritual powers to perfection. These five, these five powers of Sattā, Faith, Vidya, Energy, Sati, Samadhi and Panya until they are sources of power for the mind. The Bharami from this is the highest kind that will lead, to us, lead us to understand the Tamma. Putting forth effort in samadhi is something of the utmost importance. We have to try to steadily apply our minds so as to experience deep calm and peace, to surpass all the moods and emotions, all the Vedana. 
if we can cross over and rise above the barrier of weird and are, sometimes we'll be able to see it as a totally separate phenomena from the mind. Whenever Vedana arises within our body, we focus in and investigate it, so the mind pulls away and disassociates from it. This struggle with Vedana is really an exercise of development in line with the Satipatthana Sutta. Therefore, every single one of us that have come here with the firm result of practice needs to put forth effort and have patient endurance. If we can keep this practice constant, this will make our minds advance and progress giving us encouragement to keep practicing further. The Buddha always taught that every, actus, every aspect of rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara and vinyan has the characteristic of arising, remaining and then passing away. Its nature is to stay for a while and then cease. All rupa and nama are only conditions that arise, remain and then pass away. Yet because our sati can't keep up and recognize this, we go grasping at the rupa, believing it to be ours. We grasp at the vedana as ours, all the feelings that arise. We grasp at sanya, all our memories and perceptions that seem to be our own. We grasp and take as self the sankharas, the various thought formation. We grasp as ours all the vinyana, the various sense impressions. These all occur so quickly that our sati can't keep up and understand that none of these are actually ours. In reality, they all have the characteristic to simply arise and pass away. All the pleasant feelings we have previously experienced, where are they now? If they were ours, where are they now? Those pleasant feelings arose, persisted and then passed away. All the painful feelings that we have ever experienced likewise only ever arose, persisted and then passed away. All the feelings have passed, all the sukha and dukkha vedana that we have experienced in the present only ever arises and pass away, passes away in the present. But at this point, maybe sanya will arise and we will remember and identify with it. This person said this and it pleased us, this person just complained, this other person speaks and acts like this. It's all just sanya. Whenever someone speaks, Sanya will latch on and remember it. But this Sanya of speech isn't anyone's self. In truth, it's a Nicca, Dukkha, Anatta. But if our Sati doesn't know this, we will just go grasping and taking on all this Sanya as ours. Then we will go on proliferating about it. It's simply the nature of Sankaras, whether good or bad, to, prol- to proliferate. Along with all this Vinyan, constantly arising and ceasing. If we pull apart the whole process, they are just piles of rupa or piles of nama. For example, vinyan, we sense that we see, but this sensation of seeing, if there is no light, will it occur? What if we are blind? Or if we are deaf, will we hear the sounds around us? Will we experience them? If we are deaf but there is, there is a sound there, we aren't going to hear it. The nerves in the ear don't even work. So this thinking that we are hearing, it comes from a functioning nerve system in the ear. When the sound comes in contact with the nerve system, this gives rise to hearing. So the sensation of hearing, the mind knows that it's hearing a sound, but a wisdom can't keep up with it. The mind grasps at the notion that we are hearing, that we are the ones that hear. When the sensation of hearing occurs we, and we still identify with it as ourselves, 
it will have liking and disliking arising along with it. This further perpetuates delusion. This is avijja, blinding darkness. The resulting delusion conditions karma formation and feeds the process that gives rise to tanha or craving and kilesa. This is the cause of all suffering, patita samupada, happening right in the present moment, arising in a single mind moment. This is the process that leads on to suffering. This is becoming a birth occurring in every single mind moment. The Buddha laid down the path for the way out of the vata, round of rebirths, which in essence is kilesa, karma and vipaka, karma result. The cycle of kilesa is the cycle of karma, the cycle of vipaka. The way out of these cycles is through the practice of sila, samadhi and panya. Sila, as we probably understand already, is restraining our bodily and verbal actions so that they are blameless. Samadhi is making our minds firm and steady. This firmness and stability of the mind comes from focusing our sati steadfastly. Knowing the in and out breath is one method, called anapanasati. This is the foundation, the crown pinnacle of all kamatana. When we have sati knowing the in and out breaths, or we fix our attention solely on one specific point in the body, the heart will converge and our sati gathers together. We taka picks up the object of the breath, meaning it focuses on its one specific object. We chara keeps and holds the object so it doesn't wander anywhere. We chara is holy with the kamatana that we are using until piti and sukha arises, bringing about a state of inner fullness. The mind that is still, not moving around here or there anymore, this is the ekakatachita. This is the mind in one unified state. Calm and stillness are, arise and the mind reaches a level of samadhi. The mind will be calm and firm. When piti arises, vitaka and vichara seem too coarse. Then when sukha arises, piti also seems coarse. Finally, when sukha seems too coarse, the mind gathers into unified stillness and all the factors, piti, sukha, ekakata, merge together and are contained in that stillness. The mind converges into a state of samadhi that is firm. The mind experiences ascending levels of depth and refinement. Piti manifests clearly, then follows sukha, until finally the mind rests and abides in a state of equanimity. This is the practice of samadhi that it, it this is the practice of samadhi with its various levels from coarse to refined. When the mind is in this unified state of samadhi for a long time, we may fall into delusion and think that this is nibbana, that we have seen the dhamma. The dhamma is like this, nibbana is like this. But this state arises out of samadhi, out of firm and solid calm. This still is in nibbana. If this is nibbana, it is only nibbana. It is a nibbana that only comes about due to a temporary suppression. The kilesas of lopa, greed, dosa, anger and moha, delusion, are still there. If we get to this state, maybe we will fall into delusion and we will, and we will get caught into misunderstanding. We might think that we have seen the dhamma, that we know the dhamma, but this view is conditioned by the presence of our samadhi. This kind of thing occurs very often in meditators when the samadhi is firm and strong. 
But of course this samadhi is still important. If the mind didn't attach to samadhi, it would just go and attach to form, sound, smells, bodily sensations and mental objects instead. We need to have sati fastening and focusing the mind into stillness first. We need to learn to become skilled in the area of samadhi until we can experience it clearly. Sometimes you might think that developing samadhi isn't important. It's like someone thinking, I've experienced a stage of pity and now I'm set to move into sukha. However, maybe it's only pity at the level of tanika samadhi, but we think it's pity at the level of upachara samadhi, or the pity of apana samadhi, or second chana. We can easily make this mistake. We can even think that next is the third chana. This happens a lot if we don't know what's real and true and we have no experience in this area. It's easy to get caught into delusion about the levels of samadhi because there is wanting an expectation there, or tana. This makes us overestimate ourselves and feel assured that we have attained tana, or part, or the paths and fruits of the practice. So we have to use sati to reassess and re- review ourselves. The Kuba Ajans taught the way to overcome this delusion over attainments in our practice. If we think we have jhana, they will tell us that this isn't certain, it's not for sure. If in the course of our practice we start to think, oh I'm a sotapada already, then they would emphasize that it's not a sure thing. Reconsider it in the light of an icha. This is the way to gain panya. We investigate to see this apawatama, that every state that arises is just an icha, dukkha, anatta. These characteristics all apply together. Don't go grasping at anything at all, it's just upadana. We practice to abandon having things or being anything at all. We don't practice to get or to be a sotapana, sakatagami, anagami or arahant. These are just conventions that refer to the mind of a practitioner who has reached a certain level, but that individual wouldn't attach to the perception of a self based on that attainment. They wouldn't attach to the view that they are that they are a this or a that. They would understand these terms just as conventions. In truth, these terms just indicate the progress towards vimuti, liberation. When we are beyond these conventions and able to escape and pass through all these things that bind us, abandoning sakayatiti, personality view, kuchakicha, skeptical doubt, silapataparamasa, attachment to precepts and practices. This is the start, the preliminary stage. The samadhi of apana samadhi is strong, powerful and unified. If we really haven't experienced the heart at one, it's so hard to intellectually understand. We will just take someone else's description at face value. At the stage of my own practice where I started to experience some piti, I had the expectation that after I had, that after I had attained piti, sukha was coming up next. But on trying to enter sukha, the power of mind was not sufficient to pass beyond piti and couldn't make progress. Without even realizing it, sati wasn't gathering anymore and was gradually getting weaker. It be, had become so weak now that even piti couldn't be accessed. Why is this? Because we have abandoned the meditation word or abandoned watching the in and out breath. 
We have to earnestly reassume our reputation of our meditation work. Get back in and redo it from the start. Putto on you, Tammo on you, Sangha on you. Investigate on you. In the course of our practice, we have to come back and rebuild again on the same spot that we started on. We have to establish sati in you, rebuild, do our practice in you, pursue it constantly and continuously until the heart can re-experience peace and calm and get past the moods and emotions again. Then, then we can be at peace. In the course of my own practice, I experience and pass through a lot of pity, a lot of, a lot of sukha, oh, tremendous amounts of it, even up to the point where it lasted for a whole month. But even if it's like this, we still have to come back and go over the fundamentals of the practice, back and forth. We have to keep bringing up the level of mind over and over again, with vitaka and vichara. We may think that they are gone and we don't need to bother with them anymore. We think that we have passed beyond them, but sometimes we have to get back to vitaka and vichara, back to the breath again. These are the coarser and also more refined levels of the mind that we have to go through in the practice. With every step and with every stage, we can't throw away, but must constantly turn back to our basis, our foundation, the guiding path of our practice. Having sati and doing pawana, we have to fix our minds and our chosen kamatana that we are skilled in. Here, when we are practicing and investigating, breaking apart the elements, breaking apart the khandas, breaking apart this form we now have. We need to pursue, pursue this until we see clearly. When there is clarity, we will know and understand for ourselves. At this point, the one that knows doesn't claim that it, that it is a sodapana, sakatagami, anagami, or an arahat. There is only knowing. If the practice is really at this stage, we know what has been abandoned and also what more needs to be done. We will know and see clearly, but we don't need to talk about it. The more we talk about it, the more we are just bragging. We come to abandon everything, not to blemish the heart further. We are purifying the heart, because in reality, when we have broken through these thick layers and have done the real practice, there isn't anyone here at all. Whatever rupa or nama there is, we will see it all as anicca, dukkha, anatta, so where is the Sotapanna? Where is it to be found? Is it in Rupa or Nama? Actually, it's only conventions of speech that labels levels of attainment. It's the heart that knows Rupa or Nama, knows that they are impermanent. They are only Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. The knowing that arises from this is the knowing that arises from Sila, Samadhi and Panya. And then it is all let go of. The heart is poised and maintained in the present moment. So we have to keep practicing, abandoning the kilesas, then move on to abandoning greed and anger little by little until the burden is lighter. The insight and knowing will come clearly in our own heart. We will not need to label this stage, this as the stage of Sakabagami. When we abandon greed and anger, we will know that we have reached the stage of Anagami. Once all greed, hatred and delusion have been abandoned, then we will know that we have reached the stage of Arahant. This is the progression of someone who has travelled the Noble Eightfold Path, walking the way of Sila, Samadhi and Banya. Sometimes in the course of practice, we have the wrong view that we are at this or at that level. This is just mistaken Sanya, simply foolish. It doesn't accord with the truth. 
we, ha- we really have to be careful. We may experience a calm so deep and profound that it seems to open up the truth, but the Buddha explained that this is just a vipassana upakilesa arising. This is an obstacle in the practice that will create difficulties in the development of vipassana. When we sit meditation, it can happen that a lot of bhiti arises, a lot of sukha arises, and we experience great peace and calm. Radiance and brightness seem to be all that is left. Maybe we will think that this is Makapala, the past and fruitions. We have to be careful and have sati and panya watching over our experience. Lumpocha always pointed out that it is a nicha. It's only a nicha. You taught not to be fooled by this. We may think that our samadhi is so great to the point where we believe that we have jhana or, asod- or are asodapana or even that we are sakatagami. If this comes about, there is obviously still a sense of self there. Lumpucha would say that it is uncertain. It's not permanent. If we think that we are arahat, this is uncertainty at the highest level. <coughs> we have to have sati and panya always so we don't fall into this delusion. This will stop others from being deluded about us as well, thinking that we are this or that. Some people will come and ask Lumpucha, are you an arahat? But he would just answer that he wasn't anything. If the heart doesn't have anything, how can we be in our heart? If we are still anything, we will still have suffering there. If we think we are this or that, or that we are, all, or that we are already a sotapanna, some people may disagree or not believe us at all, and this will make our kilesas arise, followed by dukkha. If we think we are an arahant, we have an even bigger problem, because if people don't believe us, it's really going to make us suffer. An arahat is suffering? How come an arahat is suffering? How is this going to happen? How are they going to have anger or greed arising? This just shows that it is really difficult to really know. It is su- this is something that is pachitam vedidapo vinyuhi, to be experienced individually by the wives. The kuba ajans whose hearts have attained to the final goal, the words and emotion they express are simply external modes of behavior. behavior. Karma is not being made. They may speak harshly, softly, timidly or whatnot, but it's just mere bodily and verbal expression. Free of kilesas, they explain. It's not karma, it's kiriya, mere action, without upadana. This absence of upadana is something hard to fathom. The mind is one thing, the mind objects another. They aren't the same. Lumpucha would give the comparison of a crazy person and an arahant. Sometimes we might look at them and think that there is no difference. Lumpucha said that this lunatic and the arahant might on the outside appear the same, but one is travelling on the lower road and, and the other has travelled the highest of paths. Therefore, in the course of our practice, we need to always have sati and banya. Whatever we come in contact with, we should know it as an icha. This will make our hearts wise, not wallowing in low-lying ignorance. When we practice like this, we will understand clearly and be able to let go. When we see people who are acting out of delusion, we will understand the situation, that it, that it is anicca, dukkha, anatta. In the start, our conviction comes from faith. We have belief and we have reverence. Although sometimes we have no banyana, no wisdom at all. 
Lumpu Cha gave the example of when he was younger and he met a monk who he believed at first to be an arahant. The monk could act just like an arahant. He could let go of whatever it was, just like an arahant. After a while, Lumpu Cha noticed that this monk's way of practice and behavior had changed. <coughs> he then saw the truth of the matter. Oh, I was mistaken. This gave rise to wisdom. In, in retrospect, these mistakes are normal in the course of practice. This is important to remember. Whether a practitioner is living near or far from Kuba Ajahn, above all else, we, need, we have to be keep close to the Buddha. Close, meaning that we have to keep close to the reality of Anicca. Anicca has to be embedded within our hearts always. With Anicca there right in our hearts, this supports and helps sustain us whenever any kinds of thoughts or feelings come up, good or bad. Sometimes we don't like a certain person or another person we like a lot. Well, it's an itcha, a certain kind of food that we find delicious. This again is an itcha. If we eat all the time, pretty soon we are going to get bored of it. This is just the nature of these things. It's not certain. All the thoughts and feelings we experience, it's all in each other. If we are investigating like this, it shows we are panya. If we can't keep up with these thoughts and feelings, we will go grasping at the five hundreds. This is upadana that gives rise to all the suffering in our hearts. For a practitioner, samadhi is important. Sometimes you might think, I've been practicing for a while now, samadhi isn't that important. I really don't need it. I'll just, de I'll just develop Panya. I only need Panya to finally reach the highest goal. But if we only try to develop Panya, in the end we will be without it. The Buddha taught Samadhi Paribhavita Panya Mahapala Hoti Mahanisanisa. The benefit of Samadhi is, it, is that it is the direct cause for the arising of Panya. If Samadhi isn't firm and stable, the Panya of a deep and profound nature won't arise in full clarity. Though panya may arise from listening and hearing, sutta maya panya, or from intellectualizing and thinking, cinta maya panya, pawana maya panya still hasn't arisen. Pawana maya panya is the panya that comes about through our practice, from our pawana of making the mind quiet. True pawana can only arise from a heart which is still and serene. When we support and aid our mind by making it peaceful, the Dharma can naturally arise for us to see and investigate. This gives rise to Panya. If we have tendencies to be angry or moody at certain people, or we have things we are afraid of, they will pass and fall away. If we look at these tendencies and investigate them, we will be able to let go of them. In the periods we are investigating like this, we have to rely on samadhi as a foothold and foundation. If there is no samadhi, the banya that arises from pawana can't come about. This is something that is assured. Looking after our sila well, this will be the cause for the arising of samadhi. Samadhi that it has been developed well will be the cause for the arising of banya, and the banya that it has been developed well will give rise to vimuti. This is the freedom from upadana grasping at all the various mental states which is the cause of all suffering. Lumpocha taught us to see things in the light of Panya. This means to investigate in the present, 
to abandon upadana in the present, to abandon wrong views in the present. This gives us right view in the present. The heart won't have any dukkha, only freedom and emptiness. The abandoning of greed, hatred and delusion gives rise to this emptiness. Only the pure, radiant heart remains. Practitioners, having gained experience, may grasp at some aspects of their practice and take them to be maga or pala. But what is important here is to maintain the investigation of anicca, dukkha, anatta within the heart. Whatever we feel anything about is never certain or lasting. Leave it aside. When we hear or listen to anything, we must have sati and panya. Consider it deeply but don't yet believe it. Keep practicing until the results are seen. This is the way of the wise, like the Venerable Sariputta, chief disciple of the Buddha, endowed with great sati and panya. Within the practice of Pawana, we have to look at the heart and see how we are feeling and reacting. Is there liking? Is there disliking? If we don't get what we want or wish, how do we feel? This is where we need to investigate. When we contemplate these mental movements, Lumpur Cha said that this is the path. But if we are going to abandon all these mental states and be able to investigate, like, investigate this liking and disliking, the heart has to be calm first. I can't stress this enough, it has to be at peace. Whatever object of meditation we are using, be it Bhutto, Tammo, Sanko, Gesa, Loma, Naka, Tanta, Tacho, we have to keep that object with, with us at all times. If we don't, useless thinking will overrun us. The mind will just proliferate as it pleases. Awija is the condition for the arising of Sankaras. When we have these sankharas and we don't do any pawana, everything is difficult. These sankharas will be reckoned as self or belonging to self. They become mine. If we practice using the parikama putto, then we have to keep recollecting putto constantly. We must keep our putto going always. Some of the great terrors taught to repeat putto without a space in between. If we are sitting, then putto, 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 keeping only this in mind every day for great lengths of time. We need to do this to gain calm and stability within the heart. When the heart experiences quiet and still, it's so dazzling. This is the amazement that comes from the tamma. The body is light and the heart is tranquil, open and at ease, free and empty of everything. The impressions that have heaped upon the heart about this or that, this person, that person, they are just affairs of a self, being, person, me, us or you. But if the heart is calm, if it's, already, if it's empty already, investigate right at that point. We will see that there is no self, no being, no person, no me, no us, no you. Go right into it there. This is the heart that is emptiness. It can let go of everything. If we're going to let go on this level, how are we going to do it? We have to practice Pawana. Sometimes practitioners might not even sometimes practitioners might not even see any progress for a whole year. It just stays the same. But we have to be patient. Even if it seems to be declining, don't go thinking that keeping our meditation object isn't important. 
Although it's true that sometimes when our practice is good, we barely need the meditation object. As we sit down and are preparing to cross our legs, we're already in a state of calm. The mind straight away plummets into stillness. We only watch the breath for a short moment, and in a flash, the mind falls into calm. We may even think that we will, that it will always be like this, that it will always be still. If we have enough barami, then it can be like this. But if our barami isn't still, isn't full, the calm that we have experienced will start to fall and pull away. It falls away until it seems like we have never done any practice at all. It has just disappeared. The mind is confused and scattered like it was before. We don't see the danger, the danger of all the sights, tastes, sounds, smells and bodily sensations. All the pleasure associated with them comes back again. We've got to start anew to get into our meditation object again. Continuously we work to raise the mind with our meditation object. Raise the mind until it's calm again, until there is pity, until there is sukha, until the mind is calm and quiet. We have to rely on the meditation object as our refuge to help us. I can't stress how important using a meditation object is. It makes the heart still and quiet. And when this calm comes about, what are we going to do? Investigate. Investigate continuously, seeing anicca, dukkha, anatta, all throughout the body. Lumpur Chao would emphasize that we have to get out and walk Kankama, sit meditation, recollect and investigate Kesa, Luma, Naka, Danta, Tacho. This is what will make us happy and content. If we don't get in and investigate, what will our lives be like? We'll be distressed. Why is that? When liking arises, all different sorts of substances flood the body, like hormones rushing up and overflowing the brain. It influences our behavior. This is the natural way of the world and of our physical bodies. We have to fight these natural tendencies. Rise above them. Keep watching over them by investigating always. The heart will then be at peace. I ask that everyone be intent, intent on the practice of a Subhakamatan. If someone has the tendency of leaning towards banya, probe, question, inquire, and find the cause and effect, this can make the mind quiet and drop into calm. Use your sati, use your panya. Look inside the body and see it as merely elements. See it as anicca, dukkha, anatta. Make it peaceful. Look at all the moods, emotions and feelings of the body and of the mind. Whether sukha or dukkha, they're all anicca, dukkha, anatta. Any sleepiness that arises, see it as dhamma. When it is there, it has to pass away. It doesn't belong to anyone or have any abiding self. This is the Dhamma. Whatever arises, thoroughly investigate it and frequently examine it. Diligently train and practice a lot. The seal that is kept well will be the cause for the arising of Samadhi. The good fruits from our development of Samadhi will be the cause for the arising of Banya. And the Banya we have developed well will give rise to the knowledge of release. This is the practice developed step by step. So the practice of dana, sila and pavana is the way that will lead us out of all dukkha. Banya will arise out of pavana and will lead us to peace in the heart. If our dana still isn't well established, our sila isn't perfect and our samadhi isn't firm, our panya won't come about. If we think, 
Hey, I've done so much samadhi practice, why haven't I seen any results? We've got to take a look at ourselves. How is our sila? Are we restrained in our bodily and verbal actions? When we have this, well, this base well established, then we have to train the mind. The Kuba Ajahn's taught to stick with our kamatana. Look at that! They didn't teach anything extravagant. They taught, stick with Bhutto. But when we use Bhutto, we don't stay with it. We're only with it for a moment and then the mind takes off. So we think, oh, Buddha doesn't suit my character. This is because we haven't, we aren't really staying with it. Naturally, it creates all sorts of doubts. This karma doesn't suit me. Maybe this isn't a path at all. I haven't even experienced any karma yet. I think I'll try something else. We can switch to another kamatana, but we have to use something that will make the mind quiet, like frequently recollecting death, contemplate it a lot. When we come into the world, we also bring along old age, sickness and death. We all have to die. No one can escape it. Constantly contemplate maranana sati. Thinking about all those big, tall skyscrapers full of busy people these days. Are any of them aware that they will die? Nobody's thinking about it. Our lives have to end with death. Nothing is certain. We all have to die. This isn't just something that happens to other people. When a close relative or friend passes away, then we should see it with a wise sadness. This is Banya. But it's not the same as one who is cold-hearted and feels nothing. It's not that once we abandon Upadana, there is nothing left at all and the mind becomes dried up and cold to experiences. Nibbāna isn't like that. Nibbāna, by definition, must be the highest, most exalted state. How is it that Nibbāna is the highest happiness? Nibbāna paranam vādhita buddhā Nibbāna is the supreme tamma, say all the Buddhas. A happiness above all others. It's a happiness that has not a drop of suffering mixed in with it at all, and it won't decline and fade back into a state of suffering. It's the only permanent happiness. Would you like that? It's something that is truly permanent and lasting. A happiness that never changes. But this happiness has no owner. We could say that we experience this happiness, if we don't attach or identify with it as our own. It isn't happiness like on the Lokia, worldly level. It's Lokutara, world, world transcendent. It's Nivamisukha. It is a happiness independent of material things or sensual desires. It's a happiness that doesn't change. It's amata, undying, deathless. And this is the taste of the Dhamma, supreme over all of the tastes.